Today on the show, we're going to talk about retirement. And I warn you right now, if you're an uptight, obsessive-compulsive planner like I am, today's show is probably going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, which probably means it's a show you should listen to. (laughs) We're talking today about radical immediate retirement. My guest was an attorney, middle of his career, kind of the height of his career, and then just decided he was done. Chucked it all and wandered off without a plan, going on walkabout. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets. Thank you for being here. Today is Friday, November 21, 2014. And today I'm bringing you an interview with a man named David Downey. He's from Australia. And he just decided to simply quit. Didn't worry too much about the planning or the details, but he just quit. Should be fun. My guest today sent me an email and he says, I wrote this book called Radical Immediate Retirement. It's kind of like some of the stuff that you talk about. Check it out and enjoy it. So I take his book and I read it, read his book and I did enjoy it. <laughs> and basically the title says it all. He just simply says, what if we adjusted our mindset and didn't worry too much about all the technical stuff. We just adjusted our mindset. And if in doing so, could we achieve something different? And so I've got an interview with him today. He's got a really interesting guy. He was an attorney, uh, kind of a a high-ranking, high-class attorney, living a high-spending lifestyle, and just decided, you know what, this isn't working, and decided to change, and worked through the process of making some changes, did it fairly quickly. Uh, I think the radical immediate retirement is probably a little bit of an overstatement. It wasn't quite immediate, but it was pretty quick, and he basically just bailed on his... his, on his job and just in decision to me and in favor of another approach. And since then he's written children's books. He's contributed to the, you know, the book a thousand and one best beers that you have to taste before you, <laughs> before you die. He's kind of helps people with publishing projects and he travels. He does all these interesting projects. So, Give this show a listen. It was definitely an interesting interview, and I think that uh, I could. I always need a little bit of that kind of loose and uh, loose and flexible <laughs> approach in my life. It helps me to keep balance. Before we get to that, a couple of quick announcements. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed yesterday's show. It was pretty hardcore and pretty in-depth. I'm skipping the Friday Q&A today just because yesterday's show was so long, and I thought this would be a fun way to go into the interview. But please keep sending me your questions and keep sending me those on the on the website with the leave me a voicemail function that's right on the website and also on your phone uh, by email. One note, however, if you want, you can just record a, a nice audio file for me on a phone. Keep it short. Keep it a minute or two long and send me the audio file that you have for me on the phone, and I can use that as well. So that would be fine if you don't want to use the app on the website. That doesn't matter to me. Uh, Next week, I've got a a great week of shows lined up. Uh, Quick reminder for those of you who are subscribed in iTunes, make sure to, if you're not receiving updates on the show, just simply unsubscribe, search for the show, and then subscribe, and I'll fix that for you. Real quick, request for help from you. This is the major... uh, major input that I wanted to say. I would love you guys as your all's input on show topics and guests. I get a lot of, uh, I've gotten several great ideas from many of you. 
But I want you to know that every time you send me an email, which is joshua at radicalpersonalfinance.com, every time you send me an email, I make a note of that. And if you have an idea for a show topic and if you ha- or if you have an idea for a guest, what would be most helpful is if you think there's an interesting guest, have the guest um, respond to me with their story and just have them tell me that it was a listener and request the interview, and then that can help me to set it up and save me from having to go and find them. But also that would, that would help the most. But I'm still willing if, if there's somebody that you think is great and you say, hey, check this person out. I'd love to interview them. And I'm, I'm very sensitive to the topics that you guys are suggesting. Uh, real quick, how I think about the way that I approach the show. Basically, I just simply do shows about things that I'm interested in or that I think are helpful and are valuable. And I don't really know, uh, I don't really know how to you know, what other model I would apply to it, at least at this time. So when I do a show, it's a topic that I'm interested in. It's often a book I've read or something I'm interested in talking about. But what I'm learning is now that the audience is growing, I'm learning that there are subjects that are of interest to you, the audience. And there are things I hadn't thought about. I'll give you some examples. I'd never thought about necessarily doing shows on international topics, you know, shows on finance from a Canadian perspective or from a German perspective. But I've had, you know, several listeners email me and say, hey, could you, could you bring somebody on? So this week I've been working on, I reached out to several Canadian, um, personal finance people that are active in that community, and they were based upon your your suggestions. And I think a couple of them are going to be coming on the show. I'm happy to do that about anything. Another one that uh, listeners have asked about is to have more women on the show. You know, frankly, I never even thought about I don't think about gender, you know, what gender somebody is. I, I don't even doesn't even cross my mind. I just think, am I interested in this person's topic? Um, but uh, I got some comments and people saying, "Hey, could you have some women on the show?" I would love to. So if you know of somebody, if you if you are if you have something that you think would be a benefit for the show, if you're a listener, I love to bring listeners on because the, I I I despise the idea that we're just going to get experts and I'm going to go and bring in all these experts. Ex- experts are great, but you know what? Sometimes they're really unrelatable. Um, um, so that's so I'd be happy to talk with listeners. I, I like talking with listeners. I think that's really useful content. It keeps the, I guess, the more humble approach to the show that I think is important. I love talking to experts as well. But if so, if, if you would like to come on the show, feel free to send me an email. Uh, just share with me a little bit about what you think would be of interest to the show. I take a lot of those uh, a lot of those emails, and many people that I've had on have been because they've reached out to me. I'm happy to do that. And then if you have somebody that you had you know has an interesting story. If you see uh, a hole in some of the content that I've been bringing, you know, if you see that I don't have enough Canadians on, or I don't have enough uh, women on, or something like that, just let me know uh, and suggest somebody for me. Uh, it's it's the first time I've ever done this as far as designing programming and trying to figure out what is uh, how do I set this up. So I'm I'm winging it and I'm figuring it out as I go. And I've never sat. I don't sit down. My brain doesn't work at saying let me sit down and create a balanced approach to all these things. I do that I guess with the financial content. I jump around. To these different areas of state, you know, insurance, investments. I try to keep that varied, but when it, with regard to maybe things like what country are you from, or or you know, Joshua, you just have all these men on the show. Uh, I don't even think about that stuff. So if there's somebody that you would like to have on the show, uh, let me know, and I would be glad to do that. And because I do want to be sensitive to uh, what you as the audience request, and I, I read all the emails. I have a notebook with all of the topics that you have suggested. Some of them I'm able to do just right off the top of my head. Some of them require a lot of research, and they're on there on my research list. Some of them, I just think, well, you know, I'll figure out how to do this when I can figure it out. So just wanted you to know, if you ha- would like to see some sort of content covered on the show, you can help, and I will, I will ask for your help, and I'm listening to you, the audience, as it grows. So I hope that's uh, 
I hope you take me up on that. I, I, I appreciate the help. I really do. So here's the interview with David, a really great guy. Enjoy. So David, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being with me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I am excited to talk to you because I think the concepts that we are going to talk about, the concepts of your book, are going to provide a really radical departure from how financial advice is usually given. But I think it's going to really enhance people's uh, just perspective. So let's start with... Let's start with your story. Share with me a little bit about your story and your own personal uh, retirement plan. Okay. Well, I think the main uh, observation on my story is that I didn't really have a retirement plan, which I think is pretty well the same as sort of most other people out there in the workforce. Uh, I was a young, um, you know, keen student. I, I guess I followed the same system that, that a lot of Western, you know, young achievers do. Uh, I was in a framework that someone else invented. I was told which ladder to climb. I did really well at school. Went to university here in, in Australia. Um, focused on getting the marks. Was was at the university for a long time. Got a great job in a big big law firm uh, and worked in the law firm for over ten years, probably fifteen years. Um, became partner at a law firm. Was finally on the money. And then I thought, you know what? I, I don't want to be spending my time this way. I want to um, radically and immediately stop this. Really, with no retirement plan. Uh, I, I stopped it. This is probably about a year and a half ago, and I, I've gone through a period of a, enormous transformation. I guess during that time, I've I've sort of seen the light financially. Um, I've seen what's important, and and I've developed this sort of um, collection of concepts, which has really helped me mentally, uh, financially, and in terms of enjoying my my life, which is the goal. And and I've just scratched them down in this little collection, and I, and I hope it's motivating for people. And and um, I guess demonstrates that there, there can be another way and, and inspires people in the way I've been inspired by the sort of writers out there who have shared their story. Yeah, it's it's interesting just simply because it seems like we all need a system and we usually just kind of take on the system that uh, our society gives to us and then some people at some point stop and say, wait a minute, am I really in favor of this system or not? Or am I really going to continue following it or not and you have a you have a quote in your book yeah uh, sorry you just go ahead oh sorry you just cut out them okay you're back now. yeah we're back now so um saying like we need a system to follow you have a quote in your book two of them really stood out to me and they're in your chapter on freedom and the first quote was by voltaire and the quote is Man is free at the moment he wishes to be. And then the uh, second quote was by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, and he said, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And to me, that kind of sum, sums up the paradox of the Western culture better than anything else that, that you read, is that we all f believe we're free, but in reality, the question is, are we? Well, that's right. I think we're free, really, to buy people's products and pay taxes. That, that seems to be what mm -hmm. the system's geared towards. Uh, and if you want to spend your time differently, uh, you have to behave differently and, and, I guess, turn off your mind to those messages and start um, thinking for yourself or following other messages, which result in you leading a better life. What was the... What were the series of events and what were the influences that led to your deciding to make such a radical change in your lifestyle? 
Uh, well, I guess I was increasingly unhappy with spending my time in an office, and I, I think a lot of people have observed that humans are happy, happiest, at least a lot of us are happiest, when we're acquiring new skills and, and doing what we enjoy and exercising control over how we spend our time. And I was in a highly specialised area that, that took a long time to become competent in. I was a partner in intellectual property and, and commercial contracts in a, in a large law firm. But to be honest, I mean, I became good at that some time ago. And so I was spending day after day, month after month, year after year, effectively solving the same problems. And, and, and by then I was an autopilot and I was just, uh, I guess, you know, going a bit crazy doing the same job over and over. I'm sure dentists and accountants and financial planners suffer the same fate. Absolutely. Uh, situations. Uh, and, I mean, a lot of us in law firms and in, in many occupations are quite creative, um, interested people. And, and this drudgery just sucks the life out of you over time. Um, so I knew I wasn't happy doing that. But uh, when you're in that system, and, and I think like, like a lot of people, I suffered from a bit of lifestyle creep. Um, you start off as a student, and, and a lot of us are happiest when we're a student, but then we forget that we're happiest when we're a student, and we're not sure why, uh, but we acquire cars and, and houses or other investments or uh, drinking fancy beers or wines or going out to expensive restaurants, and, and all of a sudden, the income that you're on, which seemed like a luxury when you first obtained it, is now a necessity, uh, and, and a lot of my co-workers, even those who have been um, on a lot of money for a long time uh, are still in debt and, and so it seems Im impossible to live any sort of other life and you pity people who aren't earning as much cash um, but I knew something was missing and I, and I wanted out. Uh, in terms of the influences on me uh, uh, Jacob, who I know you've interviewed mm -hmm. from earlier time in Extreme, uh, I found him as a lot do and, and I think probably as a lot uh, do I was um, angry and um, outraged by his assertions and I saw him as <laughs> advocating homelessness and, and yep. um, I saw him as a perpetual student and, and you know I'd worked so hard for so long to, to not be a student uh, and I actually um, was so angry I think I left him a two-star review on Amazon and, and, <laughs> and, and an angry rant that, that uh, all his followers jumped in and attacked me about and I attacked them and then he came in and I attacked him not knowing it was him then I apologized knowing it was him and said look um, you're even back at work, um, you know, I've got a good job, you've got a good job, what's the point? You can just say be a student forever. So that happened, but then I just kept returning to the book, um, his book, um, Early Retirement Extreme. I recommend it, I recommend his blog. He's an extremely influential character. Uh, I, I kept returning to it and, and, and some of his concepts just really sort of spoke to me about how, how um, about the choices that you have and how do you want to spend your time and, and you've spoken at length about what he said but he was an influence. Uh, a second character who was a, a major influence, although I'm different to each of these people, obviously I've taken my own path and that's written about in the book, was uh, Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. um, he's a well-known name amongst uh, our community uh, with his four-hour work week. Uh, you know, I think the guy just had insight that was incredible for such a young man. Uh, mm -hmm. He must have only been 25 or 26 when he wrote the book and it's brilliantly written at the time, it was completely radical, uh, and he, I think Ferris, at the end of the day, he, he can see trends slightly ahead of the curve, he can translate it into language that people understand, and he's a fabulous motivator. And I, I found his book motivating. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my philosophy now is a bit different to his, and, 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 and I guess uh, with Jacob's influence and my own thinking, uh, Ferris speaks about, um, it's a great line, and it's it's 
an observation that you don't want to be a millionaire, you want to live like a millionaire. Right. And so it's where if you can use your brain to solve, um, I guess, your problems, and if problems are outcomes, you want to, say, be skiing and living, uh, not going to work every day, you don't necessarily have to use millions of dollars to solve that problem. You can solve that problem using um, geo-arbitrage, living in different countries, taking advantage of exchange rates. You can solve that problem by having cash flow uh, rather than wealth. Uh, and you can solve that problem by observing that if we are interested and active people, then we're not really going to retire and sit around, are we? We're always going to be doing something. And if you don't need to plan for retirement so much, knowing that you're going to be active and interested, then you don't need the cash. And uh, that, that's a pretty powerful observation. Although in my case, I think, and this is where Jacob comes into it, uh, I don't, it's not, you don't want to be a millionaire, you want to live like a millionaire. I, I don't want to live like a millionaire with all the fancy stuff. I think Ferris is a bit of an extrovert um, mm -hmm. rock star. He says in his book, I live like a rock star. I don't want to live like a rock star. And I don't think you have to live like a rock star. Um, I want to live efficiently. And, and that's something I, I think is worth uh, talking about as well. Uh, I know there's a word going around in all of you know, the old days, people used to talk about voluntary simplicity. And there's great books out there that talk about uh, voluntarily living in a simple fashion and being quite frugal. Uh, and I guess if you've read a lot of that stuff, frugality sounds fine. But to most people, if you talk about frugality, it sounds like something your grandma's mm -hmm. grandma would get up to, and it sounds pretty horrible. But one concept I got from Jacob, which I've really sort of run with in my own mind, is that of being efficient rather than frugal. Uh, and I think it's a much better word to use and mentally who wouldn't want to be efficient? And I think of someone walking past um, like a, a beer tap running out onto the ground. <laughs> I mean, it's not an outcome anyone would want, and I think all of us would run over with the greatest <laughs> urgency and turn that beer tap off. Right. And, and I think a lot of people's lives are like that running beer tap, mm -hmm. um, just wasting money. They're, they're, they're driving a car that uses 10 times the petrol of, of a normal car, and it's crazy. And when you look at it that way, in terms of waste and inefficiency, uh, and you'd much prefer to be a well-oiled machine, you'd much prefer to be the beer tap that just turns on when someone wants a beer, um, then that empowers you, I think, to, to live a, a different lifestyle and one that doesn't involve waste. And that's an extremely powerful concept because the less wasteful you are, the more efficient you are, then the less of this stuff we call money you need to live your life. And if the goal is to live the life being free, doing what you want to do, uh, then one way to get there is, is not to have millions and live like a rock star, but to live efficiently and just have as much cash as you need to live the way you want to live. Yeah. I, I think your story about being angry at Jacob is a valuable story because I think many people have the same perspective, especially when they read him. I mean, he's rather extreme in the way that we say, it, you know, in, in comparison to our modern culture. But yeah. when you get down to it, you find that the concepts that he shares really just make sense. And you say, wait, why do I do that? And I think we get a little frustrated because, at least for me, when I read his book, I felt like I had been bamboozled prior to that. I felt like I had been following somebody else's plan of yeah. instead of thinking rationally and making my own plan, I felt yeah. like I had just wasted time following somebody else's plan. And frankly, I think I did. And yeah. But yet, it's unusual that 
it would be a remarkable demonstration of character to be able to recognize that you've wasted days, months, weeks, years of your life, tens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of dollars on something that ultimately wasn't serving you well. That's, that's a very difficult emotional transition to make. Well, it, 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 I must admit, it, it, took, it took me years to get the courage to walk away from, from the system because I was a very good player in the system. And mm-hmm. it, it turns out that for me, I was climbing the wrong ladder or participating in the wrong game. Uh, and going back to Ferris's insight, I think a lot of his insight um, and, and his book outraged a lot of people at the time as well, I think at least the older people. Uh, came from the fact that he had lived in Japan and he lived in other countries. And he, he, he there's no better way to obtain perspective. Uh, and Jacob, no doubt, has done this as well about your own culture than, than living in others. And he, Ferris says reality is negotiable. And mm-hmm. he, he sees life as uh, a series of culturally reinforced sort of rules that aren't really based on object, object reality. And, and, um, yeah, I think a lot of our education, Jacob talked about this a little bit as well, and others have spoken about it. Our education system, it's, it's geared towards really the Industrial Revolution, churning out people for a factory line, and, and then as we become more sophisticated, sort of more sophisticated specializations. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what, as children, what do we do? We do what our parents tell us to do. We do what our teachers tell us to do. Um, you know, if I had my time over and, and I don't have children and, and we probably should chat about that briefly, I think kids, cause they can change the equation a little bit. You know, I'd like, I mean, imagine if we taught all our kids from age 12, how to be independent and entrepreneurial. What would, what would happen if you did right. that across the whole culture? And I think particularly for, you know, isolated economies, um, you know, a good internet connection and a, a revolution in, in, in schools where, Everyone had to come up with three businesses every semester from age twelve. Wouldn't it just change the whole country? Right, it would, and that's why it'll, it won't. It won't happen with the permission of the forces that be. Uh, right before we're recording this, I've released two series on the history of schooling, and oh, it was, right. and it wasn't until I actually started studying the actual history of schooling and some of the academic documents on it because i you know you you can look and the two things that always look to me as i said look you've got a a system that's designed to create good obedient little factory workers and you know it's an industrial revolution system that's fairly apparent if you just simply look and say well the desks all point to the front of the room the teacher stands in the front of the room and there's a bell that goes off to tell people to move to another room and then you go to some historical place and you see the picture of the black and white photo of the factory workers and the desks are all pointed the same way and the working on an assembly line and there's a head you know there's a foreman or a forewoman or something you know there you know with the whip you know probably not a physical whip but basically in charge and there's a factory bell in a factory town you say oh interesting i can draw that comparison uh, but it's not until you actually go and you start studying some of the academic history and you get into some of the philosophy and you recognize that throughout time, and this is where it's so wacky, throughout time people have tried to figure out, great thinkers have tried to figure out how do we control a population? How do we c- keep the population from actually, uh, you know, how do we control them 
together. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you see, ah, school was designed as a system of control, a system especially with the heavy Prussian influence, and you find out that the major factor here was controlling people and eliminating individual thought. And so in, a, in our modern system, and it's, it's very easy to, to, for people to, to block this out because it's really a dramatic uh, – it's a dram- it's, <laughs> it takes time. It took me a long time to come to terms with it. Just like you said, it take, took you take, took you time to come to terms with it. It's easy to draw to to kind of cut this information out and say, "Oh, that can't be true." But if you think about it, that we as the individuals who are the workers are indeed the the you know we're in a sense we're we're, we're what creates the money that funds the machine that keeps everything going. Uh, when I had the war tax protester on the show, um, I, I forget his name right now, but he wrote the book on on tax protesting, without your and my going to work and earning income, which is then taxed, then our respective governments cannot fund their activities. And if they do not, you know, go and keep a constant war going, then that cannot fund the owners of the companies that create the war machines that are used to fight the war. So whether it's uh, whether it's designed that way or it just happens that way, that's the practical result. It doesn't really matter the cause. I mean, maybe it matters a little bit, but it doesn't really matter the cause because you can look at it and say, ah, oh, that's the system I'm involved in. And if everybody, it's easy to go back, you know, Thoreau is always the example. And Thoreau, I think, is, is, is rightly lauded in some ways and wrongfully lauded in other ways because uh, <laughs> he makes excellent points, but then he's also, there's some major problems in, in his work, in my opinion. But if you go back to it, if we went back to a self-sufficient lifestyle, we went back to uh, less of a division of labor where each person is working in this very specialized business, then the economy would fundamentally transform and it would not be nearly as efficient as creating um, at creating tax revenue. So when you look at the effects of it and you say, ah, here's just simply how the system works wait a second, I really am in many ways a battery pack that's providing um, gre- that's providing energy that keeps everything just flowing forward. And as long as I'm comfortable enough, as long as there's not too much dissatisfaction, too much discomfort, then I as a human being, it's pretty comfortable. Change is un- uncomfortable. So I'll just continue yeah. doing it. It's good enough. Yeah, um, that's true. And I think there are parallels with, with- other sectors of the economy as well, including uh, food, food and diet. I mean, you just follow the money and the money is what ultimately influences right. um, the system and, and the culture. And uh, we've got a fight here in Australia at the moment between our, our head sort of um, dietitians association who, of course, are staunchly defending the ancient food pyramid, which mm-hmm. many countries are looking at, at shifting. Uh, and who are they sponsored by? They're sponsored by the big multinationals who, who peddle the stuff that doesn't make you so healthy. Right. Uh, and so right. it's sort of following the money. And I think the system's so big now that, I mean, there's not one mastermind behind it. It's just um, sort of companies acting right. rationally in the system in which in, that exists. But, I mean, I'm not trying to change society. Uh, I'm just trying to make my life better. Uh, exactly. Which is, uh, you know, I, I talk about freedom in the book. It's a concept Americans have championed for centuries. Uh, but for me personally, you know, freedom is just having the ability to choose how I spend my time. Right. And uh, and I think you know both Ferris and, and Jacob on your show spoke about the sort of myth of just following your passion for forty years, and mm-hmm. and the example there I think is of someone who loves um, preparing a nice meal. I love preparing a nice meal for a few people, and there's a big difference between that and going into a massive kitchen and 
preparing 400 nice meals <laughs> for 40 years. Massively. Uh, and, and so that's why I talk about, uh, I guess, going to the book, the sort of slightly outrageous assertion that anyone can retire immediately and radically. And, and I guess that's to, to challenge in the way Jacob and Tim are challenged. Uh, but for, for me, it's about assessing your situation. And, and I was sort of approaching middle age. I had some assets, but not an enormous amount of assets. I, I had a great big brain, which a lot of us have, and surely it could do more than, than just this. And I think it's just about stopping work, taking a really hard, good look at yourself, including um, you might, for example, have a home with, with some equity in the home. At the moment, it's not doing anything. It's sitting there in the house. Um, it, the thought of not having a house or your house, it, it can drive people crazy. But I've got to say, I've moved out of mine and I'm now renting it out, which helps which helps uh, deal with that um, sort of debt, if there's any debt, and it provides a, a, an income source that might let you kickstart yourself in this new amazing life. Mm-hmm. Spending your time um, doing things that you find fun. And I guess this is where I'm a little bit different to Tim. Tim talks about creating a muse. He says, I'm proceeding on the assumption that the the best business is the one that takes the shortest amount of time. And then so he proceeds on seeing, seeing a niche, um, minimizing it, outsourcing it, getting cash flow in from it. That's his sort of model, which uh, he, he doesn't talk a lot, a lot about, even though that's the hardest bit, I think, in what he, what he mm-hmm. discusses. Whereas I sort of think if you become as efficient as possible, sort of radically, even if, and it helps if you've got a partner, you and your partner live in a, a tent somewhere by the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. It costs it almost nothing. And so you become as efficient as possible. Maybe you're getting um, vegetables from somewhere. You've ticked all the boxes. I mean, straight away, your happiness, particularly if you've stopped going into some sort of uh, drudgery or hellhole, your happiness is about, it's about a million times more. And, and that, that in itself is such a, a powerful thing because when I was the, the partner of the firm doing this, doing that, the thought of living in a tent, what? what? It's crazy. And at the moment, we, we've just spent the last uh, eight months um, sort of in a, in a small uh, RV-type uh, car um, traveling around Australia and I've got to tell you it's been the happiest time of my life um, and, and it's so far removed from the fancy alcohol and the fancy house and, and, and the big the big law business and so on and yet it's so much more pleasurable but going back to what I was saying you become as efficient as you can cost wise which gives you options and then I think you look for you do what you want to do um, my sister's into llamas you know I've had interest in um, children's books I did some crazy children's books I just wanted to do those things are fun and then I think commercialization opportunities in whatever fun activity you engage in will present themselves. Mm-hmm. And I guess you'd be an example of that. You've obviously got a real passion for this radical uh, personal finance. And no doubt every day you wake up and go, this is fun. I'm talking to all these cool people. Yeah. And it's radical. No one else is doing it. And so if you do what's fun, I think commercialization opportunities will present themselves. You take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, but I guess rather than following your passion forever, you don't leverage up assuming that that's always going to be there. Right. But commercialization opportunities will present themselves uh, preferably in a way that provides you with an ongoing passive income uh, and then I think from time to time and for a lot of us it might be every couple of years um, you change focus and again we saw that with Jacob he went through I guess as I'm going through now this awareness and awakening uh, on the ability to retire effectively from your career and do fun things and so he focused on that and now he's focusing on something else that takes his interest he's a, he's a quant trader or some sort of um, in advanced mathematics in the mm-hmm. stock exchange, which, which caused some people to say, oh, no, he, he dubbed them the retirement police. The retirement police said, you're not retired anymore. You're, you're a hypocrite. But, you know, the guy was only 33. Right. <laughs> you know, he's right. not going to sit like a vegetable for 50 years, is he? Of course he's going to do things that he finds interesting. And some of those things might provide him with cash. And 
I think that's true of uh, take um, take llamas. I, I was just helping my sister with her her llama magazine. She's volunteered to be an editor, and there was one fellow in there, and she pointed to him. See that guy? He was a, an engineer uh, fixing planes. Only about thirty, late thirties, forty perhaps, and he just he'd had enough. He'd somehow acquired this small little farm with llamas on it, and he now. Uh, takes people on little llama tours and so he's reduced his cost down to, to very little and he loves llamas and he's taking people on a llama tour and that, I think that's an example of how commercialization opportunities present, present themselves and it, it's such a world apart from the, the heavy hitting career and having to go into the kitchen all day for 40 years uh, and I'm sure he could also have a llama blog, he could write little llama books and he's not trying to exploit people, he's just following his passion and and almost helping people if they're interested in llamas and a few bucks come his way, he's efficient, it's enough to get by and he's got a huge smile on his face. I mean, uh, in a few years' time, it might be something else he's interested in. Uh, people talk right about their travel. I mean, that's, that's harder, but I think whatever you're interested in, whatever your passion is, um, without trying all that hard, these commercialization activities will present themselves and in, in, in taking advantage of them, you're actually providing something fun and interesting to other people because you're not being cynical about it. It is, it is your passion. You're really interested in it. You want to help people. You want to give them a ride on a llama. You want to uh, tell them a funny story in a book. And you know, it all works, and it works in a way that means that you spend... I mean, what is life but a series of, of moments and sort of every moment when you're pursuing um, something you're really interested in, in that moment, it, it's fun. And, and uh, it sounds almost childish, but you know, I've gone from this very serious, um, intense, competitive... <laughs> Um, life in which cash was the measure of success. You know, he's earning X hundred thousand dollars. Oh, that bastard, and so on. But now my life, uh, it, it consists of a series of beautiful moments, really. And and cash is just a tool. It's a tool. And I think if you had to look at the the most important things in your life, like cash is, you know, is it even in the top ten? Like if you look at your health, your relationships. You know, enjoying nature, um, experiences, really, what's cash? And, and I think a lot of older people, I mean, they don't talk about being young and being able to run down a beach or, you know, seduce a, a man or a woman uh, for pleasure and have a relationship and all that sort of stuff because all that stuff's diminishing for them. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they want to reinforce that they're kings of the castle and the fact they're worth $10 million is, makes them very important and successful people. But I'll make this point in, in the book. Um, I'm sure any one of them would give every cent of it up if they could be 20 again mm -hmm. <laughs> and enjoying their time in the sun uh, with a group of friends and, and for their parents to be alive. And, you know, that's what life is, I think. And the focus just on money, I mean, you become, it, it's, not, it's not just tried. It, it, your life really is extremely limited if you spend all day just pursuing cash in, in the highest paying specialized industry. Um, and you might do it, uh, people talk about deferred gratification, and, and look, you've got a big brain, um, it's all about solving problems, and I, I mentioned that as well, I think, uh, and Jacob has made this point, um, if you look at, if your goal is having this wonderful life, or treat that as the biggest problem for you to solve, uh, putting everything on the table, uh, most people save their brains for their job, and you get the most successful analysts with the shit's lives. Mm -hmm. What's going on? And, and, and I saw a comic, um, the paper a day or so, that was just that, some sort of management consultant. And we all know them. They fly all around the world. They haven't slept in six months. And they're the biggest brains and advise the biggest companies. And yet their lives are shit. And the, the, uh, the, the, the bloke 
who works at the fish and chip shop three nights a week, living on 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 the coast and surfing every day. His life's a million times better with the with the relaxed girlfriend. So, if you treat your life as a problem to be solved, using the same brain power that you apply to your work, and uh, put everything on the table, including the country you live in, uh, what you do with your time all day, where you live, um, you know, you can really make a difference and. Uh, if you enjoy being free, and most people are scared by the idea of it, if you enjoy it, and for me, it's a million times better than the drudgery. If you enjoy it, then once you cross over, you'll do anything to stay there. Uh, I don't know if that was your your experience. No, absolutely. I tell you, it, <laughs> a month after I left the firm I was with, I was sitting at the breakfast table with my wife one day, and I was just saying, and I was telling her, I said, I just realized that for my entire life, I don't think I have ever been free. Like I, I, I think I now am experiencing the sensation of being free more than I ever have in the history of my life. And it didn't have to do with my time. For me, it had to do with my freedom of speech. And I realized that throughout my entire lifetime, and this is not some... Uh, What's the term? It's not. It wasn't some, you know, hardcore uh, crime that was foisted on me. But I realized that throughout my entire lifetime, I really had never had freedom of speech and freedom to live and do what I wanted to do in this way. When I was in high school, you know, if I said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, I'd be expelled from high school. When I was in college, if I said the wrong thing and did the wrong thing, I'd be expelled from college. After college, I worked for a corporate marketing company. Then I needed to represent the company well. Then after that, I started my financial planning firm, and I had both the industry regulations under which I agreed to – I voluntarily chose to – uh, abide, and then also the rules, you know, the the corporate image of the company and the internal regulations and rules. So all of those things, however, limit what you're able to say and what you're able to do. And then combined with those things, the general peer pressure of the of my reference group. If my reference group is other financial advisors or my clients or something like that, I have to live in such a way that is it is that is acceptable to them. I I don't have to live in that way, but I am societally accustomed to living in a way that's acceptable to other people. And then it was after kind of being away, and I had a wonderful group of coworkers. But after being away for a month, I kind of forgot about what they cared about and kind of got in touch with you know what I cared about. Uh, and then also just the ability to say what I wanted to say and do what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I could, in a moment, I could destroy this show by saying the wrong thing. But that's my choice to do it, and I, you know, <laughs> I have that choice and that prerogative, and it's it's just a really freeing sensation. And once you come out of it, you look back, and I, I mean, I told my wife, I said, there is no chance. Uh, let me let me not be quite so extreme. I tell her, I mean, I could do anything if I need to do it. And so, if my family were if my family were hungry, I would, you know, I would go and and do whatever needs to be done in order to make sure that my family is not hungry. I mean, I, I, have, I have chosen to uh, take on to myself responsibility, and that's extremely important to me. But in an idealized world where, you know, I would simply say, like, I simply, I don't, I'm not going to go back and take a corporate job just simply to fit someone else's agenda for me. I would, I would rather start a hot dog cart. I would rather rent our house out and go and uh, be a farm worker uh, yeah. and, and live, 
I just don't want to live it. I don't want to. I don't want to sit in rush hour traffic, and I don't want to, you know, have this expensive food that has made me fat. And and like, I don't want to live it. I would rather. I would rather farm my backyard. There's so many things that I would rather do. And now, I mean, I've got ideals left and right. I've got lists of things that are backup plans to the backup plans to the backup plans. And the cool thing is, is that I'm excited about all the different potential options. I don't have time to do them. And (laughs) I want to do them because they seem fun to me. And (laughs) I don't have time to do them all. (laughs) And I might make an observation, I guess, about, you know, the one, one family, and, and that is extremely important, and, and as providers, you know, you've got to get that right, and that tr- trumps everything. But you also said, if they're hungry, I'll, um, I'll, have to, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I make, I think, there's a powerful observation in the book, which, of course, others have made, is that we're living in a time now in which the, the essentials of human life are such, um, are, I guess, are provided for in such a way that we're, right. we're right. living better now than any king lived in the past, and I, I, I mentioned a YouTube clip um, that I that I saw uh, where John Lennon was being interviewed. I think in the in the sixties, and the olden day voice said, uh, "Only only a Beatle could have a television in his car," and that was John Lennon sitting in the back of his car <laughs> with this big old black and white TV, and he was looking pretty pleased with himself. But jeez, you know, the biggest rock band that's ever been, and and this guy's. You know, a millionaire uh, many times over, and what's he got? A, a big stinking black and white TV in the right. back of his car, and it, the, the penny sort of dropped. You know, I've, I've got in my pocket something that's twenty million times better than that TV, right? And yet, I, you know, and so does so does a seventeen-year-old kid, and and yet we're greedy for more. Like we're sort of richer, the poorest of us in in, in the lucky countries that we both live in, almost the poorest of us, at least the poorest of us that are, that are contemplating an exit. Um, have more stuff than than the richest uh, human really for for the for the last hundred thousand years and and so if you want more than that you really got to query your motivation um, are you really not how can you not be happy with the baseline stuff that's pretty well available to everyone if that baseline stuff through science and advancement is is far more than the richest person had even twenty years ago I mean twenty years ago. The richest man in the world didn't have access to the stuff that we have access to. Right. Uh, they didn't have the medicine. They didn't have the technology. You know, the cars. It, it's all like we are the richest people in the world at any time, except the moment, the current time. Uh, and you want more? You know, you want more. Right. It's, it's really got to be, um, really got to be quite special for you to trade your precious life to get more than the richest person in the world ten years ago. Uh, you know, and I think I guess that's about being grateful for what we have and recognizing the, the the cold hard fact that we, through base technology, just catching up with the everyday man, we we have more, 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 more than the richest person in the world uh, not that long ago. And so, for you to be thinking, I need more again. I mean, what does that say about you once right. you realize? It? Right. Um. So. Yes, all these things combined, I guess, have enabled me to be the happiest I've ever been um, and earning the least that I've ever um, earned. But my, my life is, is, is so wonderful compared to how it was before. And, I mean, I, I you know, can't compare the earnings from the past to the earnings now, but I think I um, was confused about what money was because it, you talk about your peer group setting standards. I mean, try hanging out with lawyers. <laughs> for 20 years. I mean, they're the most conservative bunch out there. And, and I, 
if you look at the envy they have between themselves, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and their whole life might be turning to custard, but if they have the the cash, they sort of strut around. And it, what does it mean? I mean, they look fifty at thirty. Um, mm-hmm. And Ferris talks about that in, in his book as well. He talks about people being a, a cross between his thirty-year-old friends look like a cross between Donald Trump and Joan Rivers. I think he said yeah. it's horrendous. And I mean, it was same, same as me. I, I hung out with people who really were quite. Um, you know, by any normal standard, they, they weren't ordinary human beings. I mean, they just was the greed was insatiable with some of them. And uh, I mean, why? why? What are they going to do with it? I mean, are they just going to die with it, or are they going to drink thousand dollar bottles of wine? I mean, it's got to serve a purpose. And right. the most important for, for me, important things for me, as I said, are, are health. And, and you mentioned, you know, eating the food that makes you fat. Well, again, uh, being a professional service provider in the legal industry, similar. You. You're professionally drinking twice a week. You're going out to fancy lunches. And in your own mind, I, I think we can all fall trapped to wanting to be special in some way. And you've got all this cash flow coming through and everyone else is doing it. Why not go to the fancy restaurant? And it's this sort of spiral into into madness and, and poor health over time. But health, you know, surely it's your number one priority. And um, people people don't talk about it, really. They just well, they talk about cash. But so for some of us, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, like if, if, if you are overweight, like the best thing you could do is take a year off, if nothing else. Take a year off, right. fix that. You'll be 50 times happier. Right. Go, back and, go back to your career. Um, and that's something else that I first read in, in Ferris's book, but it's something that I think is very true. And that's that fear-setting exercise where you imagine the absolute worst thing that could happen to you if you, if you take the plunge you're considering. And then look at how difficult it would be to restore the position you're in at the moment. Mm-hmm. And for most people, if it all went pear-shaped, if, if whereas you know people less capable than you have made this work, but if for whatever reason you got unlucky, it was all a terrible tragedy. How hard would it be for you to restore your current position? And in many cases, you just get another job. Like it's not that hard. Right. And so that fear-setting exercise makes it. Um, it gives you confidence to take the plunge. Um, and I knew that whilst I wouldn't be able to jump straight away in the same uh, money that I was on, which was, was, was high because I'd been in the industry for so long, I, you know, I could certainly get an extremely well-paying job anywhere in the world you know, if, I, if I wanted to. And so what did I have to lose? Uh, and it turned out I had an enormous amount to gain. Um, and I think many of your listeners would, would as well. <laughs> and what's funny is I'll bet you either have found or will find that just simply by being off of the beaten track, you'll get exposed to opportunities you never would have known existed. Uh, I've gotten exposed, even in the four months that I've been doing this show, I've gotten exposed to a bunch of opportunities. And I've had the choice, you know, at any one of them, I could have said, yeah, I'll take it, you know, but I haven't been interested uh, because I've still got this crazy idea about the thing that I want to build, my contribution to the world. And yeah. it's funny because it seems so scary until you until you take the step, and then once you take the step, you're like, huh, that was it. Oh, wow, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and every day's wonderful compared to the past. Yeah. Uh, one one favorite story I have on people who escaped um, was a baker in Sydney, and uh, you know baking's a pretty hard job, and you got to get up really early, and you're not really paid a whole lot. And he started baking cakes on on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> That's really? his job. Wow. He's longer a baker. He's the cake guy on YouTube. <laughs> and I remember him saying, "Yeah, I feel a bit guilty because all my all my mates are getting up at three o'clock and they're off to the bakery." And his big hit that got him in the media at that time is that he'd made a Spider-Man cake to coincide with the release of the Spider-Man movie. And 
I guess kids are into Spider-Man, parents go to YouTube, look for a Spider-Man cake, and there he is, and the revenue from the advertising freed him uh, from the bakery. And Wow. He probably surfs half the time, makes cakes, and uh, I mean, does whatever he wants to do. And I, I think in terms of a process, when people, particularly if you've been really working hard for over a decade, there's definitely an unwind period, and you, you might get sick, uh, you know, you might be scared, what do I do? Uh, but then you go crazy. <laughs> you go crazy with travel, you go crazy with freedom, doing pretty pretty well nothing, I think. And you might have to recover mentally and physically. There's a, it's almost like a recovery from burnout for, for a lot of people. But ultimately, and again, Ferris talks about this filling the void, I think it's like well, I, I, I do want to give back. Like I want to do something. You know, I'm a young, capable, intelligent person. Of course I'm going to do something. What's the next project? And but the, the difference is the project is your project, and any pressure is pressure imposed by you. There's not people really assessing your work unless you're trying to sell it, uh, and the project needn't be for cash. I mean, I think the first priority is the the fun or the passion at that moment. Uh, you follow that, and then these commercializations opportunities present themselves. Uh, but you do end up filling your time um, with with something. I think it's human nature and. Uh, a lot of people, including Jacob and Tim, uh, you know, talk about the acquisition of skills as being a really rewarding thing. I know Jacob uh, was big into sailing and, and woodworking. Um, you know, and Tim is is famous for uh, his rapid learning, and, and I think he's learnt um, you know a million skills, including most recently. Um, you know, he obviously got into investing. I think he started hanging around very rich people and thought, oh, why don't I learn how to do angel investing? But I think it'd be unfair to say he's just chasing a coin because he's acquired many other skills and I think your skills and your dreams um, atrophy when you're locked in the, the specialized business except in that in that area like I'm highly expert at commercial contracts and risk allocation um, and intellectual property aspects of that as well but geez I, I'd much prefer to be able to you know make a, a bowl out of, out of wood mm-hmm. um, or doesn't mean I want to spend 40 years in the a bowl factory but right. I wouldn't mind spending a few months or a couple of years getting really good at that and and then when you do get really good at something, you're into you know what they talk about is the flow, you know, being sort of really immersed in the moment, enjoying your specialised skills. But I think having the ability to learn another skill and another skill, uh, particularly if you're living a long life, like we're looking at a, a long life, hopefully as part of uh, right. lower stress and better health and um, and all the rest of it. And so I think skill acquisition, pursuing projects, it, it's all it's all there, and, and you've got the time to do it. And as I said, without being um, greedy or deliberate, like commercialization opportunities will just present them present themselves. And the more efficient you are, and the more skilled you are at at living, the the less you'll have to think about the commercialization opportunities. Uh, and if you get really efficient at, at living, um, just doing fun things like making cakes or doing llama rides or writing crazy kids books, which is what I've I, I've done. Um, you know, the money coming in from that will will see you through. Particularly if, um, and again, if you don't have the kids, the options are really open to, to almost like a camping lifestyle. Sounds crazy, but it's really fun. Uh, you know, traveling on a budget around the world. Um, the geo arbitrage, taking advantage of different exchange rates. Uh, you know, I, I was recently in the north of Thailand, and I know a lot of people talk about it, but I was I was up there sort of checking it out. Uh, and it really is cheap up there. Like for, for a mm-hmm. couple of months, bucks a month, you can get not a bad um, unit or apartment to, to live in. And the food is, street food's basically free. Um, you know, and I'm sure there are many countries around the world um, where you can really take advantage of cost of living. I know America, it's much cheaper to live in America than Australia. Right. Australia's 
uh, got this mining boom going on and everyone thinks they're a millionaire now and we, we think we're getting rich by selling each other property, which I, I believe America played with in the mid-2000s. Right. <laughs> and so for a lot of people from Brisbane, say, which is where I'm from, even though I've been traveling for a little while, um, Brisbane people, their societal um, sort of structure and, and commands is to get a government job almost, a government job or a mining job, and then buy a house that's worth half a million dollars or more, and then spend 30 years paying it off. That's that's it, and all their money goes into that. And they have barbecues in their backyard. That's sort of that's that's the formula for those guys. Uh, I know I'm looking um, uh, at buying. Um, well, my my partner is looking at buying a house in Ireland because looking globally, and you, you can look globally. Uh, Irish houses there can be bought for for you know under a hundred thousand. Wow. So makes sense, doesn't it? And I know there are lovely Irish cottages. They might be uh, 50,000 euro, 60,000 euro. Hmm. Whereas here, the same lovely cottage you know, would be half a million dollars or $600,000. And so I think you're looking, like really thinking outside. So you don't have to just spend all your time in the little or big town that you, you've grown up in. I mean, people live all over the world uh, at salaries that are extremely small in some cases. Uh, and you just got to be aware Travel, look at opportunities, um, look at cost of living. Uh, you know, these Irish houses, Ireland suffered. Um, you know, they they thought they got a bit big, too big for their boots, and everyone was borrowing millions to um, buy property largely, um, and then it all went bad. All their banks all almost went broke. They had to be bailed out by the Europe. No one's lending, and now um, you know property is extremely cheap, uh, and so there's no reason why. You know, we can't buy there and, and live in Ireland for a while. I mean, have fun. And then get get an upswing, rent it out. I mean, there are a million, million options. Um, and having the time and the mental freedom to think about it, you know, give, gives you a solution other than just the 30 years of paying off that suburban home and having barbecues on the weekend. The ability to be efficient, as you call it, is such a massive game changer and that efficiency, both in the amount of money that you need, and then the I would I don't maybe it's the same word, but I would say the ability to be flexible in your thinking uh, allows you if you're okay with a very potentially difficult situation, you may also have potentially a massively valuable situation, like a, a, a peak experience that you didn't get that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I've this flexibility of thought. I think it's just one of the most valuable concepts that we don't often talk about. I remember one time I went to, uh, well, a couple, two trips stand out. Uh, one time I went to Colombia, and I didn't, I didn't want to spend much money, and I just kind of jumped on an airplane. But I was totally cool with not. I didn't have any reservations. I didn't know where I was going. I just decided to, I got a cheap plane ticket to go to Bogota, and I flew into Bogota. But I was okay with just about anything, including sleeping on the airport floor. Well, I wound up yeah. finding an amazing hostel to stay in. Then I asked the people at the hostel what I should do. They told me to go to another town. It's a town called Villa de Leva. And I jumped on a bus, and I went there. I didn't have any accommodations. I got there. I asked somebody. I wound up being shown to this amazing hostel. And it's you know it's $11 a night for a beautiful room in the mountains overlooking the, uh, <laughs> overlooking the hills and the mountains. Now, 
I, it was this great, amazing peak experience, but it was open to me because I was able to actually do it because I was okay with having a really disastrous experience. I never had a disastrous experience, no. but I would have been completely fine with it. But if I were requiring yeah. and said, no matter what, I'm not willing to run the risk of not having a place to stay, so I've got to sit at home on the computer and i got to sketch out, like, here, I'm going to stay here, and that's $98 a night, I, I wouldn't have had the money to go at that point in time probably. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think a huge amount of pleasure can be obtained by um, having these adventures and mm -hmm. and by solving problems, and you probably felt quite chuffed with yourself. You still, you still are. Right. And, I still tell the stories. <laughs> it was an awesome trip. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's how I've been living with my girlfriend uh, for, for the last uh, seven months, just driving around Australia. Like We didn't really have a plan, and then just on a whim, we flew to Thailand. Uh, every day, we, we had no plan. It was, what do we want to do? What do we want to do? And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's freedom. And we've, you know, we almost uh, were in the middle of a, a bushfire, you know, wildfire. <laughs> One wow. Day, side of the road and you know the lights shine it's a beautiful sunset oh someone must be frying some food no it was a bushfire coming to get us and driving off and but that's a wonderful story now uh right for, for, um that's the thing is you can turn really just about any horrible experience and there are, there are I'm sure there are exceptions but you can turn many really tough experiments uh, excuse me experiences into just kind of fun by just viewing it as an adventure and and I'll give two two simple examples when I was growing up, purely because he was an adventurous guy, Teddy Roosevelt in the United States was one of my favorite presidents. Now, I didn't know anything about his politics at the time. Now, I'm not such a huge fan. But uh, when I was a kid, I just thought he was cool because here was a president who you know went to Africa and hunted lions, and he he, he was a you know the rough leading the Rough Riders. He's kind of a folk hero in American history, and but the thing is, you think about him sitting here and what was it the 1918th. A long time ago, uh, I can't place the date off the top of my head. A long time ago, he's sitting there uh, in Africa, living in a tent, you know, on a very basic cot, and eating food that's cooked over a fire somewhere. Now, yes, he has a number of servants. He has a number of people that are serving him. He's got plenty of money to do this. But what's he doing? He's living in a tent in a beautiful place, hunting lions every day. Now, question. That was what the rich, one of the richest, you know, most powerful former presidents of the United States was able to do at that point in time. If I wanted to go and have an adventure like that, A, I could go do it in Africa, and that wouldn't actually be that big of a deal. But I can also do that wherever I happen to be, whether that's in Australia or the United States or Brazil or wherever. I can go and I can buy a nice big fancy canvas wall tent. I can get a very comfortable cot. And even better, I can get you know a, a, a cooking stove that doesn't require me to start a, a fire from wood to cook on. For, for yeah. 10 or 15 bucks, I can get a Coleman camp stove from the local Walmart. I can have an internet connection and stream Netflix while I'm lying in my comfortable uh, com you know, thermal, therm what's the? The, the foam stuff, the Tempur-Pedic uh, <laughs> pad on my cot in a beautiful part of the world for free. There's land all over the world that I could do it for free. But that's in order awesome. to be able to do that, I would have to be able to cut the mental chains, and that's what's challenging. Yeah, and, and uh, it's, it's the very lifestyle I've been living the, the last uh, seven or eight months, just that on-the-road thing, and it's never been easier. And with technology, um, you were able to continue to run your affairs um, back home uh, and get access to entertainment and all that sort of stuff. It's never been easier. And um, indeed, the the, uh, the radical uh, 
immediate retirement book I, I wrote in the Monkey Mire, um, watching the dolphins swim up and down the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can get these little um, projects going even when living in that very simple way. Um, what's interesting psychologically, and I've thought a bit about this, is if you're thinking about taking the plunge, it, it's much easier to do it in a very different situation. And, and I think that goes to our conditioning, even if you're aware of it. Uh, I'm perfectly happy living in a, in, a, in a tent while I'm on this crazy adventure, mm-hmm. but could I live in a tent in the suburb I grew up in under the right. bridge? <laughs> That's a very different thing. <laughs> it is. It would do my head in. But if I was in a tent on the, the plains of Africa, it would be amazing. Right. And, and so I think that's why travel frees you. Uh, right. it, it, it changes those very strong um, restrictions that society places on you. Uh, and even from your family, from, from your neighbors, from culture, from all your workmates. And my greatest fear, I must admit, would be me <laughs> with a beard living <laughs> living in my car or at a tent or, or something, and then my old uh, client or right. boss or co-worker walks past and goes, oh, Dave, David, is that you? Right, exactly. <laughs> isn't, <laughs> it, isn't it amazing how deep those those ties go? Yeah. Or if I posted it on Facebook, you know, here I am at the local bridge. Right. <laughs> with my oh, no, come on in, you know, what's happened? But if I posted the same picture from, from Africa or Sweden or Australia, I guess, for right. America, Oh, look at that guy. I'm jealous. Right, exactly. He's here. He is living his adventure. I got to do the same thing. And so I think at the start, um, anyway, it's much easier to travel, buy a ticket anywhere, go there, live a crazy old life, and you might just find that some of it slips into your life back home. Right. And right. Um, it's been recommended um, you know, by others before, but, but I think it's Ralph Potts and his vagabonding mm-hmm. book. Yep, excellent beautiful, book. Beautiful expression on the joys of crazy adventures on the road. Uh, and I think he quotes um, a line from, um, is it Wall Street? And, uh, you know, Martin Sheen or whatever, whoever the actor was, is saying, oh, I'm going to make my millions by the time I'm 30, and then I'm going to retire and ride across China with a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll ride across China in a motorcycle. Right. And Alf says, you know, you could do that after working as a cleaner for two months. <laughs> right. Know? All this stuff's really um, open to anyone right now um, and it can change the way you think because you are less um, at at risk of being controlled by these societal and and cultural norms that affect us all even if we're aware of them. So uh, I've been living living in my car for for seven and a half months having the time of my life, absolutely, Uh, but but could I live in a car in my uh, suburb that I grew up in? No, I wouldn't want to. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't yep. want to, even though I, I know it's silly. But uh, take you know, we're off to we're off to Ireland shortly. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to ride a, a, a bicycle across Europe in summer. I mean, can you mm-hmm. imagine one more wonderful adventure? But I'm not going to live on my bike in, in Brisbane anytime soon. Absolutely, that's a, that's a an excellent point. Let's um, wind down with. I, I'd love for you to just simply because we've talked kind of a lot of philosophy and and it's funny this show my bet is that this show will either strike someone as utterly ludicrous or it'll strike someone as a as an entirely uh as an entirely like radical concept that they love and i think it probably depends upon where they're at 
because many people are perfectly content and I think legitimately so perfectly content they love their life they love everything you know they're 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 thrilled with what they're doing and so a show like this would stand out to them saying like that's 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 crazy how can you be that way but there are lots of people who are oftentimes stuck without you know feelings trapped and you know don't have a lot of money don't you know don't have 2 million dollars sitting in the bank haven't created a muse that pays them 8000 a month so they can dance the tango in buenos aires and you know and and lisa a, a ferrari so the, the so this show, you know, can be a kind of a fresh re- breath of fresh air to say, "Wow, I can do something," and it can meet meet people where they're where they are. What specifically over the last year and a half? What were the specific steps that you went through once you kind of decided to do something? What did you do um, specifically, and then how have you specifically filled? You mentioned traveling for the last eight months, but like, how have you paid? How much are you spending? Things like that. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing that I had to do uh, and uh, was to clear my debt. Um, you know, like a lot of people, I um, had investments and, um, you know, you build wealth through property investment shares, that sort of thing. And I I cleared a lot of debt mm-hmm. um, quite quickly and, and that was extremely liberating. I, did you sell stuff or did you sell yeah, investments or what did you do? I sold, um, I sold uh, well, between uh, my girlfriend and myself, we sold three houses. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, we just got got rid of them, and so it really was a massive change. I think I think we're paying um, you know over ten thousand dollars a month in interest. Mm, wow! And how can you do anything? How, what what sort of crazy life could you lead if you need to come up with that cash plus the cost of living? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of, uh, let alone pay pay any of that debt down. So uh, yeah, we we sold down and became debt free. So that was a practical thing. Uh, in terms of um, I guess how I survive uh, back when I was sort of transitioning, and, and this is if you don't want to sort of go feral from day one, um, there's no reason why you can't build up some of this stuff on the side. And I, uh, not for money because I had no intention of quitting, but for fun, I uh, wrote um, children's books for um, really for my nephews and nieces. But I was also really fascinated uh, by online contracting. And, uh, you know, I had read Tim Ferriss' book. I heard other people talk about elance.com. Uh, no doubt you've used some contractors to, to set up your own um, activities. Uh, and so I was just, just having complete fun. I, I'd written these children's books. And then through Elance, I, I sourced a magnificent illustrator um, out of Indonesia who was very cheap. And he did these wonderful illustrations. Um, I uh, got an editor out of Canada who, you know, a lot of people sort of get thrown on the scrap heap uh, at around 50, particularly in the media. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they've got wonderful opportunities ahead of themselves. And now through Elance, they can, they can sell their time in little uh, niche spots. And I got a very cheap editor uh, just, just to proofread my, my stuff. Um, and I got a layout expert um, from the Philippines who spent all day working for a book company laying out professionally. And then at night was freelancing, moonlighting. And so I got this sort of crack team assembled extremely cheaply. And, mm-hmm. um, I, and I find the print-on-demand technology thing is completely mind-blowing um, right. along with books. And for those who aren't familiar with print-on-demand, um, I know in the 80s I heard stories uh, through my parents of people who had delusions of grandeur with self-publishing and, and they'd go broke because they spent tens of thousands of dollars uh, printing their books. And, of course, no one bought the books and they're sitting there in the garage uh, gathering mold. But... But now, uh, with print-on-demand technology, someone orders the book, and then Amazon prints it right. and, and posts it. So it's incredible. Uh, 
And at the moment, at least once a day, a child around the world opens up a package and has my book in it with all the, all the pictures. How cool is that? Uh, you know, extremely gratifying. And I, I, was, I wasn't doing this for the cash. I did it for my nieces and nephews and to explore online contracting. And I certainly didn't write commercial books. I mean, they're sort of crazy, crazy books with the stuff I would have enjoyed when I was a kid that probably would never have been published. Uh, and then it occurred to me, I thought, what about all those kids out there who um, don't have books published in their language because they're not commercial? And we talk about the system. And the system at the moment is making everyone speak English or, or French or one of the major languages. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what about those kids who, who speak, um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the Indonesian languages closer to us or any of these smaller languages that aren't commercial? I thought it was... Uh, you know, really sad that they'd never hear their mother reading to them a, a kid's book. And so I, I really went out to the to the internet and said, um, look, would anyone out there like to translate my book into your language? Even though it's not a commercial language, I'll get it up, I'll, I'll pay for it to be up, and I'll make it available if I can mm-hmm. for, for free on YouTube with um, you know, professional scrolling. And I also put out a cry for uh, professional voiceover people to read it with my, mm-hmm. my thought was a little kid assuming they had access to the internet, um, could sit there in Africa or wherever they are and listen to this story being read to them in their own language. And it might be the only book they've ever heard read to them in their own language for free. And I was amazed by the response. And this is just one of these projects you might do other than for cash. And I ended up with about 130 people helping me. Wow. So I'm trying, trying to be a partner at the same time, right? you know, pretty busy, busy practice and all the rest of it. So I ended up hiring... Uh, you know, for not a lot of money, um, a uh, fantastic um, project manager who was also an ex-lawyer uh, working out of Canada. And so she managed these 130 effectively volunteers and there was this enormous um, project and there were voiceovers being read. Some, I had this Greek, Greek guy who was a celebrity doing it and, and, and many others. And um, I have ended up with over 150 books up on um, Amazon in all these different wow. languages. And uh, every day, mainly in languages other than English, a, little, a, a child opens the book and they can buy it in the e-book and also uh, in many cases uh, where I've been able to get people to, to help with the reading, they're read for free on, on YouTube. Uh, and so I do get a small income from, from those um, sales and I haven't recovered the money that I put in, but I spent that money when I had a job and so now I have a small bit of cash flow. Mm-hmm coming in um, and some losses to <laughs> offset any tax problems for the next number of years. <laughs> I guess that's just an example. Like, looked at, I, one of my uh, friends worked for a publisher and I said, uh, you know, what would it take for you to publish someone's book in over 40 languages, which is where my book is? And like, if you go to Wikipedia, the most translated books in the world, I'd pretty well be on the list, you know, which is crazy. You know, wow. cause it's just, that's the internet. Everything's changing. And uh, my, my books probably counted all the languages would be in maybe 40, 45 languages. You know, I, I haven't really counted because I'm not keeping track, but that's a, it's an amazing feat. And I said to him, how much would it cost and um, could you do it? He said, mate, we just wouldn't even consider doing it. It would be impossible. So here I am with, I'm not really doing it. My project manager's handling it and all the rest of it. I, I'm through the internet doing a project that a big publishing company couldn't do and wouldn't do. And I, that's just completely mind-blowing. And I, I deliberately went as uncommercial as possible, uh, deliberately, to, to get the outcome of children be able to hear a book being read to them in their own language. And yet I'm still getting an income from it, uh, from, from, you know, not the YouTube stuff, but from people who want a hard copy and, and they buy it. And, geez, if I'd 
if I'd made it slightly more commercial, I'd be making more money, you know. And and so, um, that, I think that just shows you, you can do anything. You really can do anything. We're living in this amazing, incredible time where a person who's not even devoting much time to it can can undertake projects that corporations can't undertake with traditional structures of employees and having to pay five thousand dollars for a translation or ten and layout and printing and distribution it's all changed and, right. and the world's sort of 20 or 30 years behind but you don't have to be right. so i get a little bit of money for, from that um and also looking at commercialization opportunities i had all these fantastic and still do these fantastic people who can help me through elance and I have long-term relationships with them and, and we trust each other, uh, I thought, well, this is looking at the fairest side of things, the potential for a muse. And so I set up a, um, an online publishing service really to, to let people take advantage of this amazing um, um, revolution in publishing. Uh, Interaliapublishing.com is the name, name of that. Um, and... Uh, you know, I with that again, I haven't really pushed any. This was I haven't had to, but I, I've got a few clients just from word of mouth, really at work, and uh, that work's still happening. I don't touch any of it. I have you know incredibly gifted people uh, doing it all, and it's re- really is like a Tim Ferriss um, muse that one. And so, I um, you know if I get involved at all, uh, it might be to send an invoice, but uh, that that is often done by my helpers as well. So, I, I guess. To answer it, I've got direct income in from um, from books, even though that was a non-commercial um, project, and you can read about that at, at, at davidjdowney.com um, with the volunteering and, and uh, all, all the books. You can see a link to YouTube too. Uh, and I've set up this um, Muse Interactive Publishing, and that brings in a, a small amount of income. Uh, and I do have a, a small amount of income coming in from uh, investments as, as well. Um, so that's where I am, and, and I'm looking. But I'm, I'm not rich by by any means. But I think that's the point. You, you don't have to be. And I see money as a very small part of my life, and I'm not driven by money uh, now. Uh, I'm driven by experiences and, and just enjoying my relative youth. I'm I'm, I'm uh, 39. I was 38 when I pulled the pin. Um, you know, if I look at the next 12 months, um, you know, cash is the least of it. I'm, I'm just going to have crazy adventures while I still can, and uh, with my um, with my partner and. And uh, why not spend this time doing fun, adventurous, um, outrageous things? Um, now, now is the time. What a story. What an amazing world we live in. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the fact that we talk, we're, we're talking now um, by Skype, uh, you know, I found you through your uh, tweets or Jacob got involved and mm-hmm. we're talking free. We're for free. Right, it's right. incredible. And, and I give an example in the book about um, – an Australian Prime Minister, our most famous Prime Minister Menzies, who was Prime Minister for 20 years or something like that, and he was so intimidated by his first international phone call, he planned it for weeks. <laughs> and then he didn't know what to say. Wow. And it was because it was such an incredible thing. You talk, he was talking to someone in England. Imagine it. You know, it used to take months by ship. And this is just in the 60s, mind you. Right. And, and so, you know, we are more capable and more powerful and richer than Australia's most successful prime minister who, who spent weeks planning for his extremely expensive call. And, and that should blow your mind. It's amazing. And the world's full of this amazing technological advancement that if you're smart, and we're all smart, everyone's smarter than they think, more capable than they think. There's so many tools out there now. Um, you just spend some time thinking about your options. You know, Mimic other people just to have a crack. Do something fun just to learn learn how to do these things you know it really right. 
there's amazing opportunities. And, right. and going to university for, for six years and then spending 40 years on the treadmill is, is the least of it. Right. And there, there, there's really no excuse other than a mental issue. I just, I just look in, in today's world, you can, you can go and every one of us listening to this, I'm sure, has a public library that is relatively easily accessible. And that public library has free internet connections, has yeah. free computers to use, can connect you with Elance, with email, with everything, with YouTube, with all of the things that you need to create something and can give you space to work for eight, you know, 20, 10 hours a day for as long as they are open. Every single yeah. one of us lives in some kind of Western society where there's either, you know, guaranteed health insurance coverage for, for poor people, or there's just simply organizations that will pay the bill if you if you get sick and you need help. Uh, every one of us lives in a society where either there are official programs um, built by the, uh, by the government to provide food for, for free for those who don't have the money, uh, and or there are individuals who would be charitable. I mean, if somebody came to me and they said, I don't have any food, but I'm building this business, man, I'd give them all the food they need. Uh, plus, in all of our societies, you can get calories. Uh, you can get calories so cheaply, you can live on uh, a buck or two a day and get the calories yeah. that you need to live on. Uh, it's not yeah, if, it, if, jobs, if jobs are available, it might be you build something up on the side or you work part-time. I mean, right. I remember when I was working full-time in the horror as I saw it, and I was down uh, the Gold Coast in Australia, and there was this very chilled lady. Oh, for some reason, I wasn't at work, and she was just fishing in the river, <laughs> and she was just a young lady. And I said, oh, how have you managed this? And she goes, oh, I just work part-time at the fish and chip shop. <laughs> oh, Her life's better than mine. Yeah. If you just... Become more efficient, get interested in, in being efficient rather than seeing the beer uh, spill out, then get a part-time job one day a week. You've got all the other days and you don't have to beg for food or anything. You can pay for your food, learn how to cook. It's fun. And then you fish. You fish. Catch your food. I saw a guy with these two massive salmon. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and the re I don't know. I assume it's in Australia. It's the same, although I don't know this. But in the U.S., we have a progressive income tax system. The more you make, the, the more you pay. So there's a very, you know, there's a strong disincentive to make more money. So once you pass that basic level of survival, you know, of living at, this, at a lifestyle that's enough for you, the reality is time is None of us get more time, and money can always be replaced. You can't replace time, so yeah, think nor it through. Nor, nor, yeah, nor, nor youth. Like this is the next. Depending on how old your listener is, but I mean, assuming they're they're sort of under forty five or under fifty, like now is the time. Like old age is horrific, <laughs> and there's plenty of time to be sitting around, <laughs> not able to do the things that you used to be able to do. Like, don't waste this this time. Now is the time to explore. To do crazy things and to, and to take risks. Yeah, I only I only disagree with you about that last point. I don't think if, if old age is horrific and I'm dreading it, then I'm not going to look forward to it. I'm excited about growing older because <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, it's just going to be better and better and better. And the key is is that how can I build a life that I don't ever want to retire from, such that when I'm you know 100 years old, I'm still rocking and rolling. Yeah. One of my heroes was there was a doctor, I don't remember her name, but she, there was a doctor in Georgia in the United States here, and she, she was a pediatrician. She retired from active practice at, I think, 103, and she died at 114. And she was an, had an amazing story. And you don't work at 103. There are doctors who are stuck in the grind that you... Yeah 
that you were stuck in, and those doctors need to get out at 38 like you did. But yeah. there are also doctors who figured out a way to to really enjoy their business and their life. You don't work mm-hmm. till 103 if you're not, if you don't really love doing it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not about being idle, is it? It's about doing right. really what you want to do, knowing your options right. and. If she obviously, I mean, you must love that to be working that long. And good luck. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. DavidJDowney.com. And and I couldn't, what what was the first word before publishing? I get, couldn't get it. Uh, in, inter alia. It's a pretentious Latin from the, my legal side. Of okay. Interaliapublishing.com. Interaliapublishing.com. Uh, and then your book. Your book is on Kindle, and it's entitled Radical Immediate Retirement, right? That's right, and, and there will be a, a, a blog by the same entry. There's nothing there now because uh, I, you know, I'm not going to madly try and sell anything to anyone who goes there, but over time, I will be just posting my thoughts on, on things that interest me. Very cool. Well, I thank you for coming on. I thank you for writing it. I think uh, this is properly radical, and I'm glad, to, uh, I'm glad to share it with the audience. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for the call. A fun and challenging philosophy, eh? <laughs> I find, you know, it's hard to argue with just the reality that he talks about in terms of a lot of the stuff being mental. Uh, once you're free mentally, once, you ha- once you're willing to take a different approach, a different lifestyle, then uh, it, it, it just affects what you can do. So check out David's book. It's a good little book. Uh, it's, it's pretty short, but it's, it's very good. He, it's one of those kind of nice slaps in the face that, that's pretty cool that, that can be um, a transformative event. Check out his websites, all of his websites and everything. All of those are linked in the show notes. So you can find his books. You can find his children's books and check out the YouTube videos. All of that stuff is in the show notes for today's show. That's it for today for Friday. Thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Next week is Thanksgiving Day week in the United States. And I think at this point I will do shows on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm not sure exactly which shows I will do. I have a several interviews that I've recorded already and I may release one or two of those and I may do some other shows so check back next week and you'll you'll see I will be taking Thursday and Friday off and then I'll be back with you on the 1st of December which will be the following Monday and uh, I don't know I don't know whether to do a Thanksgiving show or not <laughs> sometimes those things are corny or sometimes they're not I'll have to give that a little bit more thought and see if I can do something that is Thanksgiving themed but that ties in. If it's just corny, I'll skip it. So thank you all so much for listening. If you like the show, would be thrilled if you'd check out the Irregulars program, which is my membership program. This show is entirely listener supported. This is That's the way that uh, I pay my bills. So if this has brought value to you, if you found a way that could save you a little bit of money, I'd be thrilled if you would support the show. If you're interested in more details, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash membership and you'll find the details there. Incidentally, I'm still working on building that out. I haven't been able to get any more benefits. Those of you who have signed up so far, it's been primarily for... Uh, just basically to support the show from all of the, the audio content. Uh, I've got on my list to do to start getting some additional benefits in there. I really do mean for that that to pay for itself more than anything else. So that's coming soon. Enough for today. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you for listening to today's show. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. Your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. This show is not, and is not intended, to be any form of financial advice. Please, develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. Hold them accountable for your results. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please come by the show page and comment so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, thanks for being here.